If you would, please turn with me to uh, Acts. I almost said the Gospel of Luke. (laughs) That's coming. Acts 17 is where we are this morning as we continue with our series uh, called Beholding. Beholding. So Acts chapter 17, if you're familiar with that passage, Paul uh, journeys to Athens and uh, confronts the worship of idols. And we're going to pick it up in verse 22. I'm going to read through verse 25. Uh, If time would allow, I love multiple sermons just from this text. But this morning, we're going to zero in on Acts 17, verses 24 and 25. But just for a little bit of context, I'm going to pick it up in verse 22 of Acts 17. So this is what God's word says to us this morning. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath, and what else? Everything. This is the reading of God's good and perfect word. All God's people say, amen. Uh, Like many of you, it was close to a year ago, as hard as that is to believe, uh, but roughly a year ago when when COVID hit, and no one quite knew what to think, Val and I went to the grocery store. And like many of you, discovered that what we need could not be found. Uh, the, the meat aisle was wiped out. Uh, much or most of the produce was wiped out. Uh, rice was gone. Pasta was gone. The stuff that you need, toilet paper, <laughs> it, was, it was gone. Uh, it, was, it was wiped out. It was very, very interesting to walk through and, and kind of see that, uh, these different items that we need not being there. But, but what we noticed also is not only was what we needed not there, but what we didn't need was there in abundance. The candy aisle, untouched. All the sugary stuff was there. The stuff of sustenance was gone. It struck me that in a global pandemic, no one runs to the store looking for their favorite candy or ice cream. That was there in abundance too. No one went to the store looking for that. People went to the store for what they needed, uh, for sustenance, for, for substance. And I think the same is true spiritually. What matters most is not sweet, sugary candy, what matters most is God and, and the substance of his word. In fact, I, I, I wouldn't hesitate to say that most of our spiritual problems, 
like anxiety and, and, and I would even say depression and stress and, and a lot of these things, they come from a small view of God. A very small view of God. I, I believe many Christians are spiritually anemic. And, and so when suffering hits or we receive that frightening diagnosis from, from the doctor or the sudden loss of a loved one or a crisis in marriage or, or our country, right, that's a mess politically, economically, and, and spiritually, what, what we're learning is that sweets don't satisfy. We need sustenance over sweets. What we need, if you can forgive me vegetarians, is meat and potatoes Christianity. That's what we need. We need reminders on the greatness of God that will strengthen us. We need a knowledge of his glory, a, a sense of his bigness that will sustain us. We need to behold the God of glory in all of his grandeur who holds all the, the waters, all the oceans of the world in the hollow of his hand. Or, or the God that it says holds all the stars in his right hand and has named them all one by one. We need a big vision of, of that God, a big understanding of that God, a God whose glory is bigger and mightier than our problems, a focus on that God. We need to behold the God of glory who defies every attempt at categorization, a God who cannot be contained or controlled or put in your back pocket. That kind of God is what we need. That, that's what I mean when I say meat and potato Christianity, sustenance over sweets. And, and that's what we've been considering in our series called Beholding. We're beholding his attributes that defy, in so many ways, explanation. I'm, I'm kind of setting myself up to fail going through this series, uh, trying to, in some pathetic way, to explain his attributes in particular, what we call his incommunicable attributes. There are many attributes that he has communicated to us. He has shared them with us, such as his grace and his love and his mercy and his justice and, and so on. But there are many that are referred to as his incommunicable attributes that he does not share with us. And that's what we are seeking to, to behold. And last week, we beheld for a moment his Infinity. infinity. Is it even right for me to say that we beheld it for a moment, his infinity? It's not, is it? Because inf infinity has what? No limit. There's no such thing as a moment. In fact, if someone corrected me last week, there is no beyond with infinity. There is no infinity and beyond. It's the nature of it, right? It's amazing to think about. He's a God without limits. And this morning... We're going to talk about what, quite, quite frankly, for me is my second favorite attribute. I don't know if it's right, again, for me to say as a pastor if I have favorite attributes of him, but I am. My favorite is his sovereignty, and we're coming to that in a few weeks. But my second favorite, very, very close to, to sovereignty, is God's aseity. That's everyone's favorite word, right? God's aseity. A-S-E-I-T-Y. It's an old English word. <clears throat> It actually derives from two, two Latin words, a se. So a for Latin means from. Se, S-E, means himself or thereabouts. So aseity means from himself. 
We're talking about God who is from himself, to have being or existence within himself. So when we apply that to God, what that means is that God has his existence in and through and of himself, which is to say he depends on no one or anything for his existence. He is self-sufficient. He is independent. Those are other ways you you can talk about his aseity. It means he's independent. It means he is self-sufficient. It means he is self-existent. We're not. Where'd you come from? Your mom and dad, right? We didn't come from ourselves. We came from our mom and our dad. And more than that, we came from our surroundings, our, our experiences growing up. Our, our education, our, our jobs, all, all those different things tie in. That's where we come from. But God, no way. He comes from where? Himself. Is your mind blown yet by that one? That's, that's, that's one of those things to try and get your mind around. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible to think about. I am not from myself. You are not from yourself. But God is from himself. And just consider this. We're looking at Acts 17. And again, just, just for context... Uh, Paul has made his way to Athens. We just read uh, Acts 17, 22 through 25. He, he makes his way to the Oropagus. Uh, but before that, as he's kind of mo- moving through the city of Athens, uh, a famous city, quite frankly, where uh, many great thinkers have come from, like Socrates and, and others, Plato and Aristotle. Uh, but while he's in Athens, his spirit is provoked. His spirit is provoked because the city is full of what? It's full of idols, right? Remember that? The city's full of idols, and he's provoked. Uh, And he acknowledges, like we read in verse 22, he says to the men of Athens, I see that you're religious in every way, uh, but basically except for the one way that matters. You you worship this unknown God, and I'm here this morning, or whatever time it was he spoke about him, maybe it was in the afternoon, uh, to say to them, I'm going to tell you who the one true God is. You might worship him and know him. And notice what he says about him in verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it. Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man. And so the first thing we learn about this God, this unknown God who who Athens was, was trying to worship, is that he is the God who is needful of nothing. He's needful of nothing. He's needful of nothing because he's first and foremost self-existent. That's what verse 24 is saying when it says, the God who made the world and everything in it, Lord of heaven and earth. That's saying he's self-existent. That he's the creator of the universe and all that is in it. And he's Lord over the universe and all that is in it. He has eternally existed without prior cause. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was not created. In the beginning, God. God was. He was already there. God was not created. He always was. Before anything existed, God existed. He is the uncreated creator. The unsustained sustainer. He is the source of all things, the uncaused cause of all things, the unmade maker who upholds all things. 
He's not being propped up or held up by someone or something. God depends on no one and nothing for his existence. He is exclusively and eternally from himself as creator. Every one of us here in this room is in the process of becoming something. We're all in the process of becoming, right? And the choices that you make and that which you behold, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, seeing is beholding, we're all in the process of becoming. Seeing is becoming, is what I meant to say. As we see him in his glory, we're becoming more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all in this process of slowly but surely, by the Spirit's work, becoming something, but not God. God is not becoming anything. God is absolute being. God is the fullness of being. Remember Exodus 3.14? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, Moses, he's out tending his flock. He sees something weird. It would definitely get our attention. There's a bush that's on fire. Except the bush isn't on fire. Right? It's a fire that's not consuming the bush. And so Moses goes to check that out, and lo and behold, it's what we would call a theophany. It's a vision of God. And God reveals himself and has Moses take his sandals off because the, the ground is holy. God is holy. And Moses gets there and converses with God. And one of the most important things in all the scripture is where God there reveals his name. And what does he say about himself? I am who I am. It's one of the most profound sayings or verses in all the scripture. That's Exodus 3.14. I am who I am. An amazing statement. God does not say, I was this, or I will be this. No, God is. I am He's neither increasing nor decreasing. He is being. Think about it this way, and again, this is a mind bender. He cannot not be. When he says, I am, he's saying, I cannot not be. There has never been a time when God was not holy himself as God. He was never less than who he is. He can never be more than who he is because he's infinite and perfect. God has always been and will always be God. He's self-existent. And as the self-existent one, he is self-sufficient. Again, verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands. And what a humbling phrase is found next in verse 25, as though he needed anything. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God is self-existent. He is therefore self-sufficient. He does not need anything. How could he need anything? Just, just tied into last week. He's infinite. He's infinite. He has everything without limit. He's perfect. He's excellence. There's no shortage of his attributes. There's, there's, there's no shortage of, of anything with God. He he's always has awe. He's never lacking in any of his attributes. He has no inadequacies, no gaps, no voids. Another individual put it this way. He says, quote, God is missing no vital element, no critical parts. The strongest person can give him no power. 
The smartest intellect can provide him with no knowledge. The richest tycoon can give him no resources. He is entirely complete in himself. God has not supplied anything by anyone as though he is inadequate or incomplete. God is self-contained, having within himself whatever he needs. That's our God, who we've gathered here this morning to worship corporately together. The self-sufficient, self-existent God of the universe who needs nothing. Nothing. Turn with me, keep your finger in Acts 17, but, but turn with me to Psalms chapter 50. We have another great example of this uh, in the Old Testament. We've considered the fact that he's the creator. We've considered Exodus 3.14, where God reveals himself as the I am who I am. But in, in Psalm chapter 50, we have another great example of God's self-sufficiency. Uh, again, a, humble, a humbling passage. Psalm Chapter 50. Picking it up right in verse 1. It says, The mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. There's a picture of God, huh? Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes, He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Selah, which most likely means pause and consider. Now listen to what the judge says in verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. This is shocking language, verse 8. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. Listen, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. (laughs) He's self-sufficient. I wouldn't tell you. Why? For the world and its fullness are mine. That's his self-sufficiency. Israel uh, thought they could manipulate God with their sacrifices and and offerings and and God's response to them is say, listen up and I'll tell you something, I don't need your sacrifices. And if I was hungry, if I needed something, I wouldn't tell you because it's all mine. That's our God. That's that's the God that that we worship. He is independent. He's he's independent in his will. Let, Let me just read a few verses quickly here. Daniel 4.35 Scripture says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can say to him, what have you done? That's Daniel 4.35. He's independent in his will. He's independent in his counsel. 
In Isaiah 46, 9 through 10, he says, Remember the former things of old. I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying what? My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. He's independent in his counsel. He's independent in his power. Psalm 115, verse 3, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He's independent in his thoughts. In Isaiah 55, verse 8, he declares, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. And Romans 11, 33-36, sums this all up, where, where Paul writes, uh, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord or, or who has become his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? What, a, what verses are those? Those are incredible verses. The, the point being that no one has ever instructed God. No one's ever taught God anything. No one's ever told him something he doesn't already know. He has no need for advice. He doesn't need help. He doesn't need a consultation. He doesn't need education. No one has ever put God in a position where he's stuck or indebted. All creation is indebted to him. He's not answerable to us. He doesn't answer to anyone. Sometimes he graciously explains things, but he doesn't have to. He's God. God doesn't have to explain himself to anybody. So Romans 11 verse 36 wraps it all up saying, for from him and through him and to him are what? All things. How many things? All things. That's sufficiency. Now this is humbling and I need you to brace yourself. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need you. He certainly doesn't need me. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me to do his work. He doesn't need us to do anything. We must never, ever, ever think that we're doing God a favor when we serve him. Just never, ever, ever think that you're, you're doing God a favor uh, when, when you uh, give your offerings or when you tell other people about Jesus or when you come to church. It's, it's good and right to do those things, but you're not doing God a favor. And I know this is very countercultural to the God that gets painted often in pulpits, sadly. But God doesn't need you. And he doesn't need me. It's a great mistake to think that he needs us. It's a great mistake to think that he created us because he was lonely. You ever hear that? Why did God create the world? Well, he was lonely. He just needed some love. And so he created us. Remember, God is self-sufficient. He was wholly loving and wholly loved within the Trinity. He was doing fine without us. God doesn't need our praises Our praises don't add anything to him. God isn't looking for a pick-me-up on Sunday morning because he's had a bad week. (laughs) 
When we give our praises to him and our gratitude to him, it doesn't make God feel better after a long, hard day of running the world. What does our text, our text say in verse 25? As though he needed anything, right? He doesn't need anything. God never has and never will need anything. As Tozer, if you've ever read A.W. Tozer and his book on this, he, he, he makes an excellent point that need is a creature word. Need is not in God's vocabulary. He is the creator. It's in our vocabulary because we're creatures and we're needy. God is not limited. He is unlimited. He has no limits. God is all-sufficient, absolutely independent, and self-existent. It's amazing truth, isn't it? Humbling truth. So God is needful of nothing, amen? (laughs) He's needful of nothing. But he's needed by all. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But man, I need him. And you need him. He's needed, needful of nothing. He's needed by all. Look at Acts 17, verse 28. Just drop down a few verses. Acts 17, verse 28 says about God. For in him... We live and move and have our being. We need God every moment of every day, and every moment of every day we are dependent upon God. In him we live and move and have our being. We depend upon God for our every breath, our food to eat, our strength to labor, our jobs to perform, safety in the midst of danger. We depend upon him for our very being and existence. Uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, the angels are crying out, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? You created all things, and by By your will, they exist. Why do you exist right now? God's will. He's holding you up and sustaining you right now. By the will of God, you exist. Without God's all-sustaining presence, all creation and the laws within science would crumble. The universe would collapse. The universe would cease to exist. Everyone and everything is reliant upon God for its origin and its ongoing existence. His self-existence guarantees the existence of all else. Again, is your mind like doing this yet? Is it exploding? I think I can see smoke from some of you, coming out of some of your ears from the gears <laughs> that are turning. God doesn't need us, but we need him. We need him in every way. And I just want to flesh this this out in three particular areas. Because I think this doctrine is extremely practical. The aseity of God. Hopefully we'll go home this morning praising God for his aseity. Praising God that you can say aseity. (laughs) And know what it means. He's from himself. So the very first point I want to stress here in in the idea of that God is needed by awe is that the doctrine of God's aseity is at the heartbeat of the gospel. Have you thought about that yet? The doctrine of God's self-sufficiency is at the heartbeat of the gospel. Why would I say that? Because the story of Christianity is a story about a God who has everything and needs nothing. Right? Humbly coming down to us to give us who have nothing and lack everything 
so that in him, by faith, we might discover all that we need for life and godliness. Self-sufficiency of God is at the heartbeat of the gospel. I'm going to say it again. The story of Christianity is a story of a God who has everything and lacks nothing, yet graciously laid down his life for those who have nothing and lack everything, that we might find in him our awe and our everything. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the scriptures. A God who lacks nothing, needs nothing, has given us all that we need in him. Just think about it a little bit more with me and just let your heart be filled with awe and wonder that that God is self-sufficient. God is lacking nothing. The, The creation of the world was not necessary, yet he did create the world. He created you and he created me and he made us in his image and he offered to us himself. Instead, incredibly, what did we do? We rejected him. We rebelled against him. We said, no, I'm going to be self-sufficient. I will become God how I want to become God. Incredible arrogance. We sinfully rejected and rebelled against him. So what does God do? Again, we don't, he doesn't need us. We need him. God be no less God without us. So what does God do? In love, he relentlessly pursues you. Think about it and just be humbled and amazed that the God of the Bible loves and seeks us with such eagerness and persistence when he himself stands in no need whatsoever of our love. C.S. Lewis put this very, very well in one of his writings. He says about God, his love is, quote, bottomlessly selfless. It has everything to give and nothing to receive. Surely this is one of the most amazing things about God. God does not need you, but he loves you. That's amazing. And though we can do nothing for him, he has done everything for us. What should that truth do? That should put us right on our knees, shouldn't it? Humbling ourselves before him. That the God who does not need us loves to give. And he has given us himself. That in him we might find our every satisfaction. In him we might find our every joy, our every hope. In him we might find our forgiveness our righteousness, our sanctification, our glorification, our everything. This is our God. This is our salvation. Have you done that yet? Have you this morning, at any point in your life, cried out and said, God, I need you. I need you. You don't need me, but I need you. And God, again, who loves to give himself, he loves to give He gives you himself. He gives you the gift of himself. Because anything less, it's not worth giving. That's the gospel we hold up and proclaim, amen? That God, who lacks nothing, laid himself down for us, who need everything, so that in him we might find it, in him and in him alone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. And that life is found in him who is self-sufficient. Life comes from him. But the flip side of that is also true. John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever does not believe in the son shall not see life, for the wrath of God remains on him. Do you have God's life this morning or God's wrath? See how this is at the heartbeat of the gospel? 
the self-sufficient one providing our every need in his son. Well, secondly, the doctrine of God's aseity invites you to come to God to get, not to give. I say that again. The doctrine of God's aseity invites you to come to God to get, not to give. And I, I'm saying it because I want to say it this way. Are, are you weary this morning? Are you tired this morning? Are you stressed out this morning? Anxious this morning? Maybe, maybe it's your, your marriage is, is falling apart or, or, or your family is, is difficult. It's, it's in a hard situation or you're burning the candle on both ends or, or work has been particularly hard lately. Uh, whatever the situation is, God is inviting you this morning to come to him, not to give him anything. He doesn't need anything. He's inviting you to come to him to receive him. Honestly, I think this is one of the heartbeats of Psalm 23 we like to talk about all the time. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? Want or need. Then it goes on to say, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Are you needy this morning? Are you hurting this morning? Are you struggling this morning? The invitation is to come to God who is self-sufficient and be restored. Come to him to get him. Not to give to him, but to get. To get all that he offers you in himself. We are not needed by God. But that doesn't mean God doesn't care about us. Wonder of wonders. We don't need him. We need him. And he invites every one of us to bring our cares, bring your concerns, bring your burdens to him. That's incredible, isn't it? It's astonishing truth. Come to him and find in him all that you need. And maybe sometimes you wrestle with this. You think, God doesn't care about me. Why would God care about me? Thoughts like that maybe run through your mind. Or, or you think, God's only concerned about these really, really big things, not these small things in my life. But again, think about this. God is self-existent, self-sufficient. Is there any such thing as something that's big for God? No, right? There's no big thing for him. He's, he's self-sufficient. There, there's nothing that he can't handle. There's nothing that's too small, nothing that's too big. And so he invites every one of us to bring your burden, whatever it is, bring it to him and receive him, receive his help, receive all that he is, all of his love and his mercy and his grace. If you're tired or stressed or anxious this morning, let that drive you to God. That's what I'm trying to say. If you're tired, anxious, stressful, depressed, let it drive you to God. Run to God who loves you. If you're saying this morning, I need God, I'm at the end of myself, then say, I will go to God. I will come to him to get, not to give. Which leads to the third point. The doctrine of God's aseity should put a fire in our bones. It should make us work hard and serve hard. It should make us give ourselves 24-7 to, to the work of the ministry. I share with you early on, I, I, it's hard for me to express how much this truth encourages me. <clears throat> like I said early on, that the doctrine of God's sovereignty is the, is the doctrine that really gets my juices flowing. But this one's really, really close to it. The fact that God doesn't need me 
but has wondrously invited me to serve him. It doesn't get any better than that. It's amazing truth. The most exciting truth to me is it doesn't depend on me. (laughs) I know that sounds so crazy, but I hope you can see the biblical truth behind it. Few things are as crippling to Christians and, and seeking to serve God as the idea that somehow it depends on me. That's crippling. That's crippling to Christianity. That somehow it depends on me. And so we start to think, well, I have to say it the right way. I have to do it the perfect way. Or I have to do this, 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 this. I have to do it just right or else it's not going to work. Fooey. <laughs> I've never done anything perfectly or just right. And God works through me. It's an amazing truth. It sets us free. We, we're, we tend to place this enormous weight and pressure on ourselves and not surprisingly begin to get prideful or even insecure because we put this incredible pressure on ourselves. But there is untold freedom in knowing that God does not need me for the success of his mission. And there's untold joy in knowing that while God does not need me, he has chosen to work through me. Wonder of wonders. That should put fire in your bones, and I hope it is this morning. God, who needs nothing, who created all things out of nothing, has given us the privilege and the wonder of serving him. He could have chosen to do this 10 billion, in fact, infinite different number of ways he could have chosen to do this. But instead, God says, no, I want to participate. I want you to participate in the privilege and pleasure of my work. I want you to be a part of what I am doing. I want you uh, to show in what I am accomplishing, a work that I do through you, a work I I could do without you, but nonetheless, I'm doing it through you for my glory and for your good. I tell you, this has been my saving grace in nearly 20 years of ministry. God doesn't need me. I can remember it almost as, as clear as, as this morning and what I had for breakfast. <laughs> uh, many, many years ago, I got saved when I was 17. Uh, I can remember shortly thereafter, Dad and I and the family were driving somewhere, and I have no idea where it came from, but just this thought just suddenly hit me and how happy I felt all of a sudden. And I just said to Dad, you know what, Dad? God doesn't need me, does he? I mean, my dad just kind of looked at me. He's like, no, he doesn't. And I just felt so happy and joyful and released from that pressure. He doesn't need me, but he's chosen to work through me. Why? Why he would do that, that's called grace. That's his love. God has a mission, a mission that he will accomplish, and he seeks to accomplish it through me. This, that, again, that humbles me, and that causes me to throw myself with reckless abandon into his mission. Why? I have nothing to fear. I, in a sense, I can't fail, because it doesn't depend on me, you see? I have everything to gain. God is my sufficiency. So, so if you're here this morning and, and you've ever had thoughts like this, I, I can't do ministry because I'm too young, I'm too old, I'm not smart enough, I'm too tired, I'm not skilled enough, whatever that is. If you're having those thoughts and think that you can't serve God because of X, Y, and Z, you know what I'm going to say to you is this. Your view of God is too small and your view of yourself is way too big. 
Are you seeing it? It's an amazing truth. I say it again. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need you to help others. He doesn't need you to proclaim the gospel. He doesn't need you to be a pastor or teach Sunday school or be a growth group leader or lead worship. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your worship. God didn't need your help when he made the universe. He got along fine without you before he knit you together in his mother's womb. Uh, Tozer puts this very, very bluntly. Tozer wrote in his book, we commonly present God as a busy eager, somewhat frustrated father, hurrying about, seeking help to carry out his plan to bring peace and salvation to the world. This is still Tozer. Too many missionary appeals are based upon this fancied frustration of Almighty God. That's an ouch. Not an amen, that's an ouch. Then he says this, an effective speaker can easily excite pity in his hearers, not only for the heathen, but for the God who has tried so hard and so long to save them and has failed for want of support. I fear that thousands of young persons enter Christian service from no higher motive than to help deliver God from the embarrassing situation he's gotten himself into and his seemingly limited abilities unable to get himself out of. That's an ouch. Poor God. Let's just bail him out. You know what? That's cotton candy, sugar-coated Christianity that needs to die. Amen? That kind of God-belittling, God-demoting understanding of God needs to go. God is the self-existent, self-sufficient, almighty God who needs nothing, needs no one, but in his wondrous grace gives us himself So that us finding our joy and our satisfaction, our hope are all in everything, are then driven to go forward and march forward for his glory and his fame and his mission and his kingdom. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the doctrine of God's aseity. Doesn't this make your heart sore? God is all sufficient. He can change the leper spots. He can make the crooked straight. He can heal the brokenhearted. He can reconcile the worst of enemies. He can soften the hardest of hearts. He can unite the most divided of churches. He can revitalize the deadest of churches. He can restore broken marriages. He can use your harshest critics to grow you and sharpen you. He can fill you with hope and joy and peace when you shouldn't have any hope or joy or peace. He can raise up future generations of faithful followers. He can turn a person from hating people to loving people. He can use your greatest pain and your greatest sorrow for his greatest glory and your greatest good. God can do more in five seconds than you and I can do in 500 years in our strength. He is self-existent, self-sufficient, and he wants to do all of that through you and I. The God who is needful of nothing, he is needed by you. Oh, this morning, won't you cry out to God? My God, I need you. I need you. Every hour, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I don't want to do it on my own. You're self-existent, self-sufficient. You can do this all on your own. I need you, Lord. You know what he does? He gives you himself his self-sufficiency through finite, insufficient people like you and I. What a God.
What a God. As the praise team makes their way up, I'm just going to read these verses once again, Acts 17, 24, and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. You see how Paul doesn't say all that and just walk away, right? He says God doesn't need anything, but what does he do? He's proclaiming the gospel. So he sees that truth, that God who needs nothing, it's our joy and our privilege to proclaim that God who is our all and our everything to a world that is desperate in help for help and hope. This is the mission he's given us, and if you feel like you can't do it, that's good, because God gives you the strength.